One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to bluenile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's bluenile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. bluenile.com. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to Living History UK podcast. Don't retune your sets, don't check your crystals. The voices have changed today as you'll be presented by myself, Danny Reese, and I'm my good friend, John Shanahan. Hello, John. Hello, everyone. And yes, I do have a funny accent. You do not have to adjust your radios. No, we're not at Arnhem Bridge now. We don't have to adjust the crystals. We're totally fine now. But before I just bring you a different part, style of podcast today, because we've been, podcasts have been quite heavy on our early history, but as myself and John are, are more interested in the, shall we say, the post-1945 era, we thought we'd give a, a little insight into what our interest is and why and how we go about portraying, collecting and reenacting post-1945 living history. Yes, that would be correct, Danny. Um, 1945. From 1945 until the present day, I suppose it, it, it's, it's so easy to get the kit. Well, I won't say easy because it depends what you want to do, but the kit is normally 90% original or 99 percent original compared to earlier on doing like world war one or world war two you will not get the kit or you're too scared to wear it because it's original and worth thousands of pounds yes that that too that that that's a big aspect i suppose of the the kit as well is, is fairly reasonably cheap um from post 1945 post 1945 yeah the kit is still pretty cheap Obviously, depending on what area you're going to do and what conflict you're going to do, but yeah, it is fairly cheap and ready to find. Yeah, stuff's still coming out of people's attics and you find it at car boot sales. Some stuff is getting harder to find now, especially some of that early stuff and some of the crossover stuff. And you do see some post-1945 stuff gathering the same money in rarity as wartime and uh, First World War even kit. You know, when you talk about some of the very rare bits of trials kit and that. But I think with post-1945 living history, it, it basically comes from two main 
in areas of aspects of interest, you've got your kit collectors and you've got your vehicle owners. Now, your vehicle owners have got post-1945 vehicles, for example, like your Land Rover Defenders, your Austin Champs, uh, and stuff like that. And they, they wear the kit to go with their vehicle. This is always sometimes in varying degrees of accuracy from your 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 trust of people who look after military vehicles who wear DPM jackets and jeans on the deck chair to people who actually go to the effort of, right, my vehicle is, was used between these dates on by this regiment, I'll wear my kit exactly to that. Also, there's your kit collectors. There's your kit collectors who've built up, you know, post-45 kit of whatever their area they're interested in and have decided to give it a go. You know, for example, at a multi-period event uh, like your Odyssey, like your hackery nuclear bunker, where they do uh, post-1945 weekends. Yeah, um, I'd have three categories, I suppose. You'd have your vehicle collectors, you'd have your reenactors, and then you have the category that do both. So you have the guy that, okay, your, your, your vehicle collector, as you said, has his denim jacket or his DPM jacket and his jeans on and he's sitting on his deck chair. Uh, your reenactor doesn't have a vehicle but has some type of a display put together. And then your third category would be the reenactor that does have the vehicle that actually looks proper. Um, that would be my three categories, I suppose, of, of reenactors or collectors from post-1945. Um, and yeah, to some of those shows that you said, like, uh, I suppose the thing about post-1945 as well is if you do have a vehicle, um, it's easy to go to a vintage show. You could just, if you've got a, a Series 1 Land Rover or a Fox or a Scimitar or something like that, or a Scimitar, a Saracen, um, you, you can drive to a, a vintage show. So it's 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 easier to um, get out, I suppose, meet the public, go to different shows, different shows that you won't have as a reenactor. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's my take on the, on the subject or what you just said there a few minutes ago. Yeah, I totally agree, John. It's 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 kind of it's a strange in between. You think because obviously with the World War Two, everyone's dream is to own a vehicle. For example, most of World War Two scene, they all want to own a jeep. You know, it seems to be the natural thing. It, obviously, if you're doing German, you want to own a jeep, you want to own a wagon, but you have to sell the house and the wife and the kids to buy one. But obviously, you know, it's the tight. It seems to be the slippery slope of collecting. You always want to get in the next thing, which is always a vehicle, a trailer, a towed piece of artillery, even. But uh, yeah, I think what you're saying about kit as well, we're lucky really in the post-45 era, original kit is still quite plentiful. But I have started to notice in the last few years, whereas, for example, the ubiquitous 58 pattern webbing was being thrown away by cadet units and, and army reserve units, is now getting hard to find in certain pieces. And reproductions of 58 pattern webbing started to turn up on the market. You know, people being aghast now amount of times we threw away kit because we didn't want another set of 58 webbing. But now with the original, you know, things are being reproduced and I must doff my cap, my virtual cap as it were, to you know, Jerry Lee over at What Price Glory. Thank you so much for now reproducing 60, 63 and 68 pattern uniforms. Obviously the 63 and the 68 being in the early DPM and it's great to see that now coming out. You wouldn't have thought that 10 years ago when I first started doing multi-period, well, even more than 10 years ago, blimey. I would say nearly 15, 20 years ago when I started, you know, my first post-45 event I did, it was a 1950s weekend at a railway and I did Malayan emergency. 
Again, most of that kit was wartime, wartime jungle greens, wartime 44 pattern webbing with a number five carbine. But now we're seeing these reproductions. Hopefully, we should see a bit more of the post-war area being reenacted. So what what would you like to see reproduced next, John? For me, believe it or not, I'd love to see the Dennis Smocks being reproduced. Um, not the, the, the later pattern. The banana, the, ones. the banana, banana pattern and, and the 50s yeah. and 60s pattern. Because to buy an original one of them, you're talking ridiculous money. You're up on four, five hundred sterling for a jacket. Um, but it just goes to show you that the interest is growing in post-war stuff, that it is starting to be reproduced. Um, like who like 60 I can remember collected 60 pattern smocks jackets I have about five or six of them here and I picked them up for a five or a ten or a go you find them now in a decent men's size on the internet and you're talking 60 70 pounds mm. um, the, the 60 pattern pants you'll find them in a cadet size but you like it, it, the sizes are where it's the problem is and for some reason, DMS small boots are everywhere. You can still find them. But uh, the combat highs, they're hard to get. Um, so they're the next thing that I can see, actually, what price glory reproducing is the combat high boots. Um, they do do the Rhodesian ones. They do the Vietnam ones. They, 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 uh, he does do an awful lot of reproductions. And you can it's, it's demand. It's supply and demand. And if the boots are getting harder to find, the people are going to start reproducing them. Um, there is, I have seen actually, John, I have seen a company, I think Russet Footwear, I think, I, I don't quote me on the name, have actually done a reproduction DMS boot. Yeah. I, 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 I see, I, I'm, I'm unfortunate. My foot is very small. I have a size seven, between a six and a half, seven. So for me to find original boots, it's very, very hard. But a side note on that is it's very, very easy to find vintage hiking boots in that <laughs> size. And from post-1945 all the way up until present day, as we know, soldiers are notorious for wearing private purchase boots. So I can get around it that way. Oh, I know, especially some of the guys, RF guys, who were wearing the aircrew boots because they were like slippers. But, um, but no, yeah, it is interesting. I think it's the wide range as well, because obviously if you're doing reenacting World War II, you've got six years, basically, of kit change. And you can use a lot of the kit throughout with the post-45 era, you've really got to target what you want to reenact. Now, I've seen, you know, I've done, I've done a quick list of some of the groups I've seen in the past. I saw a group who's still on the circuit now representing Palestine. Uh, there's a group on the circuit I've seen mainly doing the US side, but they are doing Korea. Now, Korea for British, unless you're doing very early, wearing you're wearing, uh, you're wearing American M43s on Lend-Lease, or you, you got hold of some 49 pattern or some of Soldier of Fortune's reproduction 49 pattern when they did that for a sh- very short period of time. Malaya, uh, sorry, Korea is one of those areas that you can kind of get away with World War II kits. It's when you only start getting into things like Malaya and the next subject I'll cover in a bit where you really have to, you start have to hunt around it with Malaya, especially in the jungles, the kit rotted, it fell off people. You can get away with using some wartime pattern uh, jungles, but you're using the 44 pattern. You're starting to be, you know, you're starting to use a 44 pattern webbing, starting to use very specific things. You're starting bringing things like the SLR, which we'll cover in a bit, with weapons systems. So 
that's where it comes a bit more difficult. But I think the main draw, shall I say, I think you'll agree with this, John, in the post-45 era is the Falklands. Yes. From my side as well, we have different... Like, obviously, you're, you're, you're in the UK, you're, you're in England. I'm in Ireland. We have our own little categories as well. Jedeville, the Congo, 1960s, Irish, things like that. But you do see the English side of a creep in as well. Malaya, as you said, Malaya is one. Uh, Falklands, huge. Gulf War One now is getting huge as well um, at shows here in Ireland. But yeah, the main stay, I suppose, of course... World War II reenactors would be the Falklands. Up banner as well in England to a certain degree, but um, definitely the Falklands, yeah. And again, we're quite lucky with that because, again, we've got the veterans still alive. We can speak to them. They've got photographs, you know. They can say, oh, yeah, I carried this. Or we can speak to them, you know. For example, John, you were asking earlier about uh, web kits used in the Falklands by the SAS. And I was lucky enough to, on the phone to a chap who was in B Squadron during the Falklands. You know, Dave, how did you put your kit together? Well, I used a 58 pattern belt upside down so I could connect American yoke to the little loops on the back of the 58 belt. Uh, and my 44 pattern water bottles, I had 58 pattern water bottles in there. Now, you try finding that information from earlier on, see, even if you're doing First World War, Second World War, or earlier periods, you're just not going to get that first hand information of guys, you know. They would have wrote home in those days and saying, I didn't have a water bottle. It doesn't tell you what water bottle they had. These guys are still alive. And it's, I think it's really, really important that we document this information now, because in 20, 30, 40 years' time, we'll still be around on the circuit. You know, we'll be the grisly old ones at the bar complaining at everyone. But those would be the information they're after then. You know, what did they carry in those passions? Well, you know, I think it's our really our duty to record that. Yes, um, it is. I suppose another thing as well that we have in our favour as well is we have recorded colour footage. Um, and as you said, we have veterans there. And how many times have we had veterans come up to us at shows and go, um, lads, what you're doing is perfect, but we did it this way or we did it that way. Um, each, each even, you know yourself from being an ex-soldier or ex-RAF, sorry, I branded you with the infantry <laughs> but uh, um, everyone packs their kit different everyone yes in train and on courses in pocket A this must be in it in pocket B this must be in it but when you go to your battalion and when you go out on the ground it's like yeah whatever whatever works we don't care just get it once you have it we don't care where you have it um, and soldiers are ingenious for finding ways of carrying stuff making stuff work and getting stuff that they should have, but don't have um, tactically relocating as we used to call it. But the, the kit and the veterans that are still there to this day are young. They have their marbles. They, they have no problem in, in telling you what they have done. And as you were saying, how, like, how, how are we going to talk to a Napoleonic guy from the 95th and go, what did you have in your backpack? There, there, is, there is no recorded paperwork. Yes, there is the army manual that says you must carry this, but you can't actually talk to a soldier, whereas you can now with the post-1945 stuff. Yeah, exactly. Especially with the, with, you say, it's about the colour film, but also the way the film industry has changed as well. You know, 
going away from the British post forty five era, I'm going to pull a pull one on from the from the Americans. For example, three sixty Living History Group. They're fantastic, award winning Black Hawk Down displays. My wearing your display is fantastic. If you're listening to this, I doff my cap in serious to owe to your displays because you've gone you know, to go to the effort of getting Black Hawk wreck and a little bird and actually having them on your display is is, is above vehicle ownership. It's it's a beyond you know, and that's that's in, you're, he's basing that off of the first hand accounts, the film industry who made the film Black Hawk Down having that access to that right kit. But also, you know, it's having that passion as well. I think it's the main thing with the post forty five era is you'll always get into into a rut, as it were, or problems with people who say, "Why are you doing this?" Especially a lot of people in living history world, because they don't see post forty five as reenacting; they just see it as walking around in surplus kit. You know, especially when you're dealing with guys who are doing Victorian and early, and they just see it really strange. Why do you want to reenact this? But the post forty five era is as important, if not more important, than your pre-45 era, because we have got those veterans still with us who are still going to bump into us the shows, still do what we do, CSE, look what we do. And they're, you know, the World War II veterans, bless them, they've told their stories a thousand times. And they, I've met World War II veterans, I've spoke to them, and they've told me stuff that they remember during the war, which is actually from films. Because they've watched it so many times, they've done, they've told their story so many times. Bless them, trying to recount. You know, what did you do on D Day? Well, that was one day in a six-year war. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, obviously with the post-45 era, we're lucky because we, they've got a lot more emotional and visual stimulation from those eras like photographs and uh, stuff related to it. But yeah, looking at post-45 post era, there's quite a lot of foreign interest, especially, for example, Dom. Bless him. I'm going to say bless him now. Bless Dom and his little group of Rhodesians. Um, you know, again, that's another era. It's highly photographed. You've got lots of documentation. The guys are still with us. So you can ask those questions, and it's important that we do. Yeah, I I, I remember being at an event one time, and a guy asked me, uh, I think it was actually the festival last year, the History UK Festival last year. And uh, I, I was I was green jacket. I was portraying a green jacket in up banner of the middle early eighties, shall we say? And a guy came up to me, and he was a green jacket. And he said, "Thanks very much." And I just looked at him and went, "Sorry." He said, "Yeah." He said, "I'm a green jacket." And I I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And he said, "Yeah." He said, "You actually look like a green jacket. You're wearing your beret as a green jacket because they have their own finicky ways of wearing berets." 
Um, and I said to me, I said, no problem. I said, I, it's, uh, it's my area of interest. I like, well, I won't say I like it because it's a, it's a very touchy sh- subject, but our banner stuff would be my... Uh, I've got a my, harp in the cat badge. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, the, like, and it, the interesting thing was he said it to me is he said, um, people don't classify that as history because they can still remember it. Mm. Um, and I was thinking to myself, that's a very, very good point. Um, pe- like people don't classify it as history if, they, if it's still in public knowledge or people still remember it. It's not history. I remember that. You know, yeah. whereas... World War Two, D-Day, yeah, that's history because we, we, we don't have first-hand accounts of it anymore. Uh, World War One, the Somme, we don't have any first world, we don't have, well, with Harry Patches, we did, but unfortunately when he passed away, he was the last uh, First World War veteran to be alive. Mm. And we're probably getting close to it. I said it on my live stream last Friday. We're probably getting close to the point where we are going to have the last living World War Two veteran. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandfather, bless us, is still with him. He was a boy sailor, age 16 in 1944. So, yeah, you know, he's probably one of the last World War II veterans. Well, he's the last World War II veteran I know. And he was a boy sailor at the end of the war. He's got, he's got, his, he's got his war medal, 39 to 45, and because he was in just at the end of the war. So, you know, it's, it's, we're now, you know, how many Dunkirk veterans we got left? Any? Maybe any now? Yeah, well, I mean, look, look get back to our uh, the Living History SAS. Or living history UKSAS, like you have one original left. He's 101. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'd say in the next four or five years we're going to have a state ceremony in England where they're or in where they're going to be burying the last World War II veteran. Yeah. Yeah, for example, yeah, it's it's, it's all things that, one thing I wanted to cover, especially as well, with the post-45 era is the weapons we use. You know, obviously for British forces, you're quite lucky because post-45. If you've got a number four, an SLR, and an SA80, you can cover 99.9% of things. Obviously, the sourcing of those is quite difficult. You mainly, you deacts, but we rely heavily on airsoft. Obviously, airsofts are, in theory, adult toys. They need to be modified and altered to make them actually look half decent. But there are some good ones out there. Yeah. the. Um... Obviously, we're not sponsored by them. I'm just looking at my two SLRs that are propped up against the wall there, are Aries, um, and they're the, probably the best SLRs, airsoft ones that you would have around uh, to portray um, Cold War. And as you as you said, yeah, you can get it like, okay, you might have a guy to push it and buy a jungle carbine from a lair or something like that. But if you have a Mark IV, an SLR, an airsoft SA80, um, you're covering half a century, uh, it's, it's like, and all the all with those three weapons, you could portray all those conflicts that we talked about earlier on. And I suppose in in Ireland here as well, laws. It's because of the laws as well. Airsoft, airsoft weapons or airsoft replicas are ten times easier to get than DX. Um, and I suppose it's it's the the. the the, the weapon systems themselves, like SA80 has been changed three three or four times now, I think, down to the Mark IV or the MP4. It's in the A4 now. Yeah. So, I mean, like, 
And, and plus the militaries themselves don't want deactivated styres, SA-80s, GPMGs. They don't want them in circulation. So the best way you can get them is through airsoft. So I know the UK government has changed its policy very recently well, in the past few years that any weapons won't be sold off, i.e. like the, the, the good old days where they used to sell off uh, weapons to the shooting industry. Now weapons have to be physically destroyed. There was, for example, the cadet units all lost their number eight, two, two rifles made by Lee Enfield in 47 or 49 for Zachary. And we hoped they would be released, but not, for example, where's all the LSWs? I'd love to have it. I know I've only ever seen about 10 DIAC LSWs, but an LSW like support weapon would be fantastic for display. Yeah. Um, and it's price wise too, because if you do come across a GPMG, DIAC GPMG, you're probably talking four or five grand. No, oh, easily five, easily five thousand pound for a good, for a good, for a good deactivated. Obviously, not an EU spec. Obviously, the only ones you could buy now are EU spec uh, mm. through the dealers. Unless you've got your Section Five in your registered museum, then you can buy UK spec ones, or you're in a proper theatre company. But um, yeah, but here you go, John. What would be your top three tips for someone who wants to start in post forty five living history? Pick an era would be one, talk to a veteran and buy a book. Yeah, don't buy an off-spray, though. Don't buy an off-spray. Buy a real book. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I, I, I harp on it when people ask me, like, what do I need to do to get into reenacting? We've all done it. I know, I know lots of guys have done it. Um, getting back to Mr. Dominic, uh, like, he does Mexican. He does Rhodesian. He does World War Two. Like he, he has his fingers in so many pies. Steve to a certain degree, and and Pete as well. Like personally myself, I I, I get lose track, or I just we, we don't have the money. It's it, like let, let's get it, it. It can turn into an expensive hobby. Um, I literally do World War Two, up banner, and one or two Irish bits and pieces. Right. Uh, and that's it. I can get away with Falklands and Off Banner kit all the time um, because it's nearly 10 years of worth of kit. World War II, as you said, it's only for six years. But if I was, if I was to try and spend and, and collect for everything else, you'd, it'd cost you a fortune. So books is the main thing. Specifically, pick an era, do as much research as you can about that era, that time frame. Uh, it could be Afghan, um, it could be Gulf War One, whatever you want to do, but buy a book about it, read newspapers, look at pictures, do as much research as you possibly can, talk to veterans, they're still around the place. And uh, that, that that's my tip for trying to get into reenacting in post-1945. You have to agree with there, John, on those three points. I'd only add one little thing in there as well is, open up your spectrum of what you're looking for. When, you, when you're looking for kit, open up your arcs of fire, shall we say. Because the kit, don't buy it from your big dealers. Get to know what you're looking for and get to those car boot sales, get to those charity shops, get to those fairs like your Stonies, your Malvins, well, your War and Peace, but no, they don't exist anymore. But things like, for example, the Victory Show is a World or Two event. There was an awful lot of post-45 kit there and the guys who were at that show mainly were interested in four, in 39 to 45. So you as a post-45 collector, 
can find some bargains that people are overlooking. So don't jump where you see the first thing and buy it. Hunt around and look in places where others won't. For example, your, your school prop department. Talk to your school if you're in, still in school or in a formal education, and you go and you're, you're interested in post-45 uh, living history. Look in the costumes department. You may find bits and bobs there that they might not want anymore. Or in these charity shops. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, I found some of my best stuff in charity shops, being one. Although now they're a bit finicky. They don't like selling camouflage and stuff like that. So, you, well, here anyway, they, they don't like selling camouflage stuff. Um, car boot sales. Love car boot sales. Love uh, vintage fairs and all that type of stuff. Because people don't know what to have and you'll come across bargains. Military shows, as you said, um, there, there's where you pick up your deals. eBay, Fleabay, whatever you want to call it. That's a good one as well for picking up stuff. But one tip I will give you about eBay is if you're typing in 68 pattern smock, right, do it other ways. Do it vintage, British vintage army smock. Uh, because not everyone knows it's 68 pattern. Um Wordplay. Just play with the words in the search box and you'll be very, very surprised what you'll find. Oh, yeah. And another one as well is if you're getting friendly with veterans of the area that you're interested in, for example, Op Banner, Rambi, you know, Corporate or whatever, I'm using their operational names there, ask them what they got kicking around their sheds in their back gardens. It's amazing what people have still got in their sheds and they're more than happy or their wives are more than happy for them to have a clear out and for you to have it rather than clutter up their uh, their houses. But but no, I think that I think that's a is a good uh, chat there, uh, John. And I think uh, I think we can wrap it up for today. No problem. I'm glad for having you on, or you having me on, not the other way around. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully we can do this a bit more and uh, get some more podcasts up and going. But everyone, remember get your calendars out and your pens and paper. The 22nd and 23rd of April, we have the Living History UK Festival at Moira Furnace in Leicestershire. So get over there. Get your tickets on the, on the website uh, and come over and see over 400 years of British military history. Links are in the podcast link or go on the website. We also have the TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. You'll find us any, any on any of those forms of social media, and that's Living History K. But most will remember, keep history alive. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.